I don't know. It's like sometimes people don't believe me when I say that magic is real. Which is alright, because you see, I often doubt it. I witness it, then I forget, then I doubt. Then I witness it again and remember anew that there is so much, so, so, so much more happening all around us, happening within us, than we could ever even fathom. I think that's what magic is. I think. I think it's the not knowing, and yet the deep knowing. Knowing without knowing, maybe. Last week a song came to me. I was feeling anger, and when I feel anger I don't like myself because I am egotistical enough to delude myself that I'm beyond feelings like anger. Anger. What a lowly, primitive emotion. Surely if I feel it, all my thinking, all my meditating, all my knowing but not knowing has been for nothing. That is incorrect and foolish. But I am grateful for the anger that came to me that day, because it drew a song from me. It was a song about the world. So I called the song The World. I left the song for a little while. It is not perfect. No song is. And because this one came from a place within me that was quick and passionate, it probably sounds like all of my songs, in the way that many of my songs sound the same. Because at the end of the day, perhaps there is only really one song. The lyrics were clumsy, too. But I think they usually are. I wrote it with too great a range for my voice to pull off confidently, as I usually do. But it's mine. And I called it The World. Save it for when you tell your story this week. I thought to myself, but wait, what if you don't draw a card that inspires a story that makes sense with this song? I argued with myself. You could always make it work, I reasoned. Or you could break your own rule and just choose the card. You could just choose the world right out of the deck. If you explain it in a soft voice, they will surely forgive you. I cannot do that, I countered. I believe in magic, and so I have to trust it. Fine, I conceded. We'll see what happens. Then I sat down. I shuffled my cards. Right here, in my beautiful, imaginary forest. Right here, with my monstrously lovely hands. Right here, where I can hear every snowflake as it falls to the ground. I was angry, and so I lost the person who I consider to be most truly me. I lost her to a place of bitterness and anger and hatred, and I hate hatred, so I hated myself, 
but hatred exists in the world and therefore it must exist within me too. I lost myself to the confusion in this, even for a little. There is a full moon overhead, by the way. Hello, sweet one. Thank you for shining tonight. Thank you for making the snow so spectacular. Thank you for filling my eyes and my heart. Hello, sweet one. Where was I? Ah, I did not want to lose myself. Rather, I felt there was something hanging on my shoulders, something heavy, like a thick coat, old, musty, damp. It needed to go. But what did it represent? What must I lose? What must I let go of? What must we release? I asked my cards. All of us. Every single one on this little planet. In order to be more. More true. More us. Closer to our infinite potential. What must we release? What must be released? Don't get your hopes up, the author in me whispered. It won't be the... There it was. I shuffled. I had shuffled several times. I was almost ready, and then I shuffled three more times, just in case, just to be sure. Sure of what? Sure of nothing. I drew the world. Reversed, but still the world nonetheless. A person in a wheel of green, of leaves, of tree branches, upside down, holding on for dear life but with a smile on her face, wearing little but unashamed of it, Unadorned, unencumbered, free, upside down, topsy-turvy, but free. The world reversed can mean disappointment, the desire for closure and yet the complete lack of it, the feeling of emptiness, of incompleteness. I thought, Oh, how terrible. At first, that is. But then I thought about it. This is what we must release. Our need for closure. For perfect circles. For perfection at all. We do not have a finish line that we will reach and then suddenly be free and happy and perfect. That is not how life works, or the world, even if it is upright. We need to let go of the need for victory, for neat little stories with bows around them. Release the need for completion. Release the past. Also, it warns us that there are no shortcuts to what we desire. 
We cannot have fast solutions to immense problems. But we can keep the balance of what we believe is good and right within ourselves. Don't lose hope, and do not lose stamina. The fight for what you know is true and right is still good, regardless of the outcome. It can feel isolating, too, to not have things be what you wish them to be. It can feel empty and cruel and lonesome. But it might simply mean that what you thought would bring you joy didn't. Of course it didn't. It can't come from the outside anyway. Anyway, I know I'm waxing philosophical this week, and I'm sorry for that. If it's not what you want to hear, you just go to sleep then. <laughs> I don't mind. Or breathe deeply and let my voice become a murmur of nonsense, a wall of low and pleasant sound that you can lean against if you like. No big deal. But I do have a story. A simple one. About a world that was reversed. There was once a city. Imagine it now. A place quite grey. The skies dark with smoke from the factories and the battlefields. The buildings tall and the roads busy. The streets were filthy with waste, the sound of it overwhelmingly dissonant. Far too many people bustled along the sidewalks, and they did not really see each other, for there were just so many of them, and they all had very important places to be. Whether it was work, because there was a recession, you see, or whether it was to battle, for there was a war on too, you see or whether it was to a castle to provide some service for the many rich and beautiful kings and queens. Everyone had somewhere important to be. And if they did not make it there, their entire lives were in jeopardy. So dire was everything, every single thing in this city. Move, 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 quickly, quickly, quickly. Rest must be earned. Joy must be bought. You know, the type of conflict I usually like to start my little stories from. A greedy and desperate little city. And one day, something changed. I'm not sure I can guess why. Perhaps it was something in the water. Perhaps it was biological warfare. Perhaps it was the pollution, the soil, dark magic. Or maybe, sometimes, things just happen. The why isn't important. The event is what is important. Let's make ourselves a little smaller in this story so that we can follow, just for a bit, one person. One old man. He had worked his entire life. He had fought many battles. And even after that, he worked his fingers to the bone, day after day after day. 
just so that he could live in a little room in this city. In the name of some king, or for the honor of some flag. That was all just a ruse. It wasn't for the room, for the king, or the flag. It was just so that he could be left alone. Just so that he could live his life in relative peace, without someone knocking on his door and telling him he couldn't. That is why he worked, until the day that he died. Now, that is when we will meet him. He was alone in his bed when it happened. The room was dark. He had just one little window, and through it shone the brightest, roundest, full moon he'd ever seen. He heard a voice coming from the other room. It's time, it whispered. He was not afraid of it. He smiled, closed his eyes, and breathed a last breath. Peace for a brief moment before darkness. Well, I assume it was darkness. It is not for me to fathom what death feels or looks like. Maybe it's incredibly bright. I don't know. His body stopped. His heart stopped. His lungs stopped. Everything stopped. Imagine that apartment at that time. Empty, silent, still. The moonlight shining in and no one to witness it, except us, and whoever owned that whisper from the other room, I suppose. Minutes passed, many of them, and then his eyes opened again. They were white and clouded, but he could see through them just fine. He tried to breathe, but it was uncomfortable, so he gave up and realized he was all right without air. His heart was not beating, but that was well enough, too, for if it was, he would have surely felt very frightened, and it would have pounded something terrible. He knew he was cold. He knew his skin was freezing to touch, especially in the cold of winter. But it didn't make him shiver. He was all right. And he knew his stomach was empty, but it did not make him feel hungry. Rather, he just felt delightfully light. He stood up and his muscles had all seized, so he moved with a strange and lumbering gait. It didn't hurt, but it made things a bit difficult but he was used to things being a bit difficult, so it didn't really bother him either. None of this bothered him, not even when he walked to the mirror and saw that his skin was gray, his eyes were white, his jaw was slack and askew. He knew in that moment that he was dead, 
and yet also, somehow, not dead. He looked around at this place, his home. He realized suddenly that he didn't need it. He didn't need the empty cupboards. He didn't need full cupboards. He didn't need a warm fire. He didn't need shelter. He was dead. He didn't need anything. A banging at the door. An angry landlord. He tried to shout just a moment, but the sound that came from his throat was more of a grumbling moan, for his mouth wouldn't work the way it used to. Neither would his voice. None of his muscles did. But again, he didn't mind. The banging grew more frantic, having heard the sound from within. The dead man staggered to the door and tried to open it, but his hands couldn't quite grasp the doorknob. Eventually, the landlord opened the door himself with a key. And when he saw, standing in the doorframe, what was very clearly a walking corpse, staring right at him, mouth agape, moaning senselessly. The landlord's face was drained of all its blood. He backed away, slowly. He had come to demand rent money. He needed to eat too, you see. He needed to live in this greedy and desperate little city. He was doing what he had felt he needed to do. But now, he just wanted his life. He clutched at his chest as fear made a tight fist around his heart. And oh, woe of woes, my friends. He too fell to the ground. And then, he heard a voice whisper in his ear, It's time. And everything went, I assume, dark. For a few minutes. And then his eyes opened, too, and he sat up. He saw the old man still there. They stared at each other in awe and disbelief. Or at least that's what their corpse-like faces looked like to me. And then they together laughed. To each other's ears, the dead's ears, it sounded like warm, loving, light-hearted laughter. To others in their apartments, it sounded more like groaning, moaning, yelling, growling. So they stayed within and shuddered and locked their doors. But the two men made their way outside together. Now the streets were so busy that not everybody noticed. But these two dead men did notice something. There were others like them. Standing outside, looking around, looking for anyone who was still and glassy-eyed, with their jaw open, not breathing, heart not beating. They could see each other easily. They were so still 
and everything else was so fast. Anyone who died today, and though they did not realize it, from that moment on, was not gone. They were still there. They just didn't need anything anymore. Now, of course, eventually others took notice. Passers-by screamed, and then more screamed, and then the streets became suddenly quite empty. Soldiers might have come if it had been a more peaceful year, but they were busy off on the battlefields, earning their livings by risking their lives. So the dead found each other all the more easily in the empty-ish streets. They smiled and laughed and greeted each other heartily. To the living within their homes, again, it just sounded like mindless muttering and looked like horrific hunger. But these undead ones didn't want flesh. They hadn't attacked anyone. They had no need to. So they all decided to head out of this place. I can't say why it happened, but I can say that the voice each person heard as they died, telling them that it's time, was not referring to the fact that it was time to end, but rather, time to begin. Time to begin the unfinished business of living. Now, on the battlefields, soldiers fought with rapier and rifle, and as is unfortunately wont to happen in such places, many died. Many died every single day. But this time, only minutes passed, and they each heard the voice telling them that it was time. And the battlefield was peppered with corpses, sitting upright in their uniforms, looking around confusedly. Can you imagine what the living soldiers felt in that moment? Seeing fallen enemies, fallen comrades, just sitting right back up, hoarsely exhaling and staring with empty gazes. They too were laughing. It's just that the living didn't realize it. When they realized no one was staying dead, they all dropped their weapons and ran. The generals shouted, Desertion! But then they saw the reason. The dead were not attacking, and so they did not know what to do. Some of them tried to kill their enemies anew, but they were unperturbed and unaffected by the attacks. Nothing could hurt them, you see. So the generals were left dumbfounded and completely at a loss for what to do. How could anyone win a war like this? The dead soldiers eventually made their way to their feet, some helping each other up, even, regardless of uniform or country, and moving slowly and stiffly, they headed out of this cursed place, too. Where did the dead go? Everywhere. Everywhere they felt they could have a little silence and peace, I think. 
and perhaps a little nature too, for they were all severely lacking that in most of their life as the living. Or maybe I'm projecting. In parks, in forests, by lakes and riversides, all places beautiful and quiet they could be found, sitting with each other, singing to each other, telling each other stories, or perhaps being alone and watching the sun rise or set, or dancing in the moonlight. Sure, to the living's eyes and ears it was nothing but slow-moving, incomprehensible, undead nonsense, incoherent grunts and sharp, clumsy movements. But the living just exist in a more fast-paced and confused language than the dead. The funny thing is, the kings and queens and generals and bankers and all these people who they had been so afraid of, they were completely lost. After a while, they grew a little more bold and began to approach the dead. They had tried to kill them first, but as I said, it didn't work. Of course it didn't. They tried to arrest them, but there were too many, and they were too strong. Finally, they accepted that they were both peaceful and invincible, and so they tried to explain to them that they had to pay. Rent, taxes, loitering fees even. It was... it was very strange. There was one group. I found them. Rather, they found me. They wandered into a forest. Not my forest, but a forest I, too, had wandered into. I was horrified at first, I'm ashamed to admit, because the idea of the living dead frightens me quite a bit. Or at least it used to, until I decided to write this story. I thought it was a horde of them coming to get me. I believed the propaganda about them wanting to eat my brains or something like that. But you know what I did? I took a deep breath. I remembered that I despise violence. I slowed down a little. And you know what? I understood them. Maybe it is because I am something in between living and dead. Or at least I like to imagine that I am. That is probably hubris. Maybe it is because I decided to listen and try to understand. But I did. I saw the subtlety in their smiles. I heard their laughter. I heard their language and their words. They sang me their songs. And I thought, you know what? Time to sing them mine. I taught it to them and they liked it, I think. Some of them. They still retained their particular tastes, so each to their own. But some of the dead sang with me. It's a self-indulgent and angry little song. But they taught me to end it with a little joy. 
because we have to live at some point, don't we? At what point do we stop earning a living and just live? Only we, each of us, in that little whisper inside, has the answer for that. Anyway, here is the song. I hope you like it. I hope it turned out good. Trying to stay hopeful, trying to stay strong, try and see that the world believes you should belong. It's so hard to be hopeful when you learn all along. Someone took our sweet world, someone greedy and wrong. Let's bring it back to the chaos of trees. Let's hand it over to birds and to bees. We prove our ineptitude time and again when we claw and we fight and we hate and avenge. Ooh, who are you to put a price on my right to the world? Who are you to say I don't have a right to The bankers and the tax collectors and the kings and queens and the generals and the captains and all of these fictional people of this ilk stood and watched this horde of the dead and me sing this song. I think they might have heard me above them, but overall it sounded quite the nonsensical din. That's what it always sounds like to those who don't wish to hear it. It's all right. One can only hear when one decides to hear. 
The Horde of the Dead lived as long as they wanted to after that point. Simple as that. They found their own places in the world, many of them hiding very skillfully. Not because they were afraid or ashamed, but rather they just wanted peace and quiet. The beautiful thing, too, is that the more the living saw that there was no completion, no full circle, no neat and tidy ending to their life, no finish line to race towards, no pyramid to claw their way to the top of, most of them, even some of the wealthy kings and queens and bankers, the wise ones anyhow, decided to start living while they were actually alive. Inspired by the dead, who found their freedom, albeit a little too late. But what did that matter? They don't bite. They are not parasites. They don't want to eat your brains. So if you see a corpse standing in the moonlight, on the grass, seeming to stare at nothing, mouth agape, moaning, swaying, staggering a little. Don't scream. I would have been so scared before. But now I think I might just take a breath, slow down, and listen. Hmm. A strange story. I hope you don't mind. I hope I didn't upset you with these corpses. Corpses frighten me because they remind me of time. But you know what I say about time, right? So my fear doesn't exist. At least tonight it doesn't. Good night, my friends. I wish you the world, even if it is reversed. This full moon, let's let go of the need to turn it upright. Instead, take it as it is. Enjoy it in all its imperfection. If it's not yours, then whose is it? Sweet dreams. Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to episode 182 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is your host, writer, composer, podcaster, creator, etc., Kristen Zaza. I hope you enjoyed this one tonight. Maybe this is again my ego talking, but I want you to know that what I said about this song of mine and wanting to draw the world and receiving the world reversed, that was all true. I don't need you to believe me or anything, I just want to say it for the record because I felt like it was such a wonderful gift, and I had to share it. Sending so much gratitude to all of my patrons who support the show on a monthly basis through patreon.com. Thank you so much, my friends. 
I appreciate you so much. Through Patreon, everyone who pledges $1 or more a month receives access to the entire soundtrack, while those who pledge $5 or more, US, receive that as well as a monthly tarot reading video I do every full moon. And there will be one coming out, I guess tonight actually, because the day this episode is coming out is indeed a full moon, so that's quite lovely. You can learn more at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. I'm also grateful to everyone who donates one time only through Metaphorical Coffees, donated at coffee.com. You can learn more about this by visiting ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And I also have on a Dark Cold Night t-shirts and hoodies you can buy, available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. Sending a thank you also to everyone who takes the time to leave a rating and a review for the show. I would love if you did so through iTunes or anywhere else you like to rate and review podcasts. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, or on my Facebook or YouTube page just called on a dark cold night, or on TikTok at Kristen Zaza. Thank you again for listening and spending time here with me tonight. Lots of love to you, my friends. Sleep well. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.